Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. I get to speak to some very interesting people on this show and uh, our mission at Jew in the City is to reverse negative associations about religious Jews by putting forth an approach based on kindness, tolerance, sincerity, and critical thinking and making engaging and meaningful Orthodox Judaism known and accessible. That's our organization's mission and we like to you know, give different examples of Torah being relevant um, and, you know, meet different people that are kind of out of the box in terms of what you might assume Orthodox Jews to be. Uh, the cool thing about this organization is that not only have we shown people outside of the Orthodox world a different perspective on Orthodox Jews and Judaism, I think we've done actually a pretty decent job in introducing people within the Orthodox world to other groups that they may not um, be aware of. And so I think uh, maybe people that are more on the right have seen people um, that are more from the modern Orthodox community um, show signs of being sincere, committed, um, quote unquote, firmer than they may have expected them to be. Um, and I think that we um, show people more on the modern Orthodox side, people more from the Haredi world um, who are more with it out there doing out of the box things than they thought could be possible. Um, and that's sort of the perfect segue for today's guest, Gitti Halberstam. She is a Hasidic woman who I think this is probably the only even Orthodox woman in her field. Um, she is making liquor. She she started a liquor company called Miskeo Liquors. Um, your you know stereotypical Hasidic woman. What might be in someone's mind is you know a woman uh, you know kind of trapped in her kitchen with lots of babies and. Uh, maybe not even drinking liquor, um, and uh, Gitti's done something, um, made some pretty delicious liquor, um, and so we have brought her onto the show today to find out um, what she does and why she did it. So thank you so much for joining us. Hi, good morning. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. So um, I guess I gave a little intro about you know sort of your Jewish background and your uh, working background, <laughs> but if you could fill us in a little more. Um, what was your Hasidic background growing up like? Um, you know, what type of uh, Hasidic groups uh, do you affiliate with? Where did you grow up? What, you know, what types of schools, that sort of thing? Okay, so um, I'm an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic girl. We weren't very, very Hasidic. Um, I come from a rabbinical home, so I'm related to all the great rabbinical dynasties. Mm -hmm. um, my father's a rabbi. He's a rabbi of a very large congregation in Flatbush. Mm -hmm. um, I I'm a Steinwurzel girl, which is a pretty famous name in my circles. Mm -hmm. And I also married a rabbi's son. Mm -hmm. My father rebbish. was a, I'm sorry? You guys are rebbish. We're rebbish. Yeah. You don't belong to a specific sect because I'm mm -hmm. related to them all. Got it. Um, but my father was a psychologist as well. So I wasn't like I was brought up in a very closed um so, so I closed home. Mm -hmm. My father's a rabbi, so we saw all types mm -hmm. coming through our home. I was brought up to respect everyone, and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if they don't look exactly like me, mm -hmm. but they're good Jews as well. So it wasn't like I was brought up where you had to look exactly like me in order to be a Jew. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, so this probably helped I'm contribute sorry? to your. That probably helped contribute to your, um, you know, sort of stepping outside the box if the box was kept a little bit bigger for you. And what well, about when I started this business, I was really nervous. Like, would mm -hmm. my parents be proud? Would they be mm -hmm. upset? My father was so so proud, and he's so proud. So today, like, he walks around and he's like, "Did you buy my daughter's liquor?" That's amazing. Because he's so proud. He also sees that I did it without. Um, 
compromising on my values. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little more about that. So just in terms of a little more about your background, did you go to Hasidic schools or more? I went to Beisakov. I went to Beisakov okay. High School. Okay. And then after school, I wanted to go to college, but I was only allowed to go to a completely girls' school. So I went to Sarshneer. Okay. And I got a triple master's in regular ed, special ed, and I have a literacy master's. Okay. So you, you like school a little bit. Um, yeah, well, I worked hard. I love what I do. I still work full time. I teach first grade boys. Um, God, so you have two the- jobs. All right. So <laughs> full time. <laughs> I, I work full time. I do ABA. I work with autistic kids in the morning. Wow. I teach first grade boys in the afternoon and I run a business. And that's all. And some kids as well. I have three boys. So you have your hands full <laughs> I have and, my you, hands and you made time for this interview too. Okay. So you're, so you're teaching, you're working with autistic kids, you're running a home and suddenly you think to yourself, I need to start making liquor. How and why does this, how and why does this um, thought come across your head? So it really wasn't like that. My <laughs> mother-in-law loved Kahlua okay. and Kahlua is not kosher anymore. We're talking a good seven, eight years ago. Well, because you get it in Mexico, I think it's kosher, right? You should go. It used to be, not anymore, because they don't bottle it anymore in Mexico. So once they bottle it in a different facility, they don't give the hashkach anymore. Oh, no. Okay. Sorry. That's really sad news to me. Okay. You can't get it at all kosher unless you buy it out of the the factory in England is kosher, but they generally don't export the English one to America. Wow. Okay. So fine. So mother-in-law loved it. Kalu is not kosher anymore. How long ago did this happen, by the way? A good seven, eight years ago. So as a lark, for the fun of it, we decided for Shalfman as we're making our own version. Mm-hmm. So we played around. I did it with my husband in the kitchen and we played around and played around, coming up with different formulas until we came up with one that we thought was really good. And how long um, ago was this? Seven years ago, eight years ago. Got I, it. Okay, I, so right, right I, around when it stopped being kosher, you went. Yeah, and when it stopped being kosher, she had like one or two bottles left of her case and she was talking about how you know, no one was allowed to drink it because what was going to happen? She wasn't going to have any more of it. So then we start, I, we, I played around and played around. We came up with a version that we thought was really good. And we brought it over for Purim. Mm-hmm. And everyone loved it. So then... The and just one more question. Where, where do you get your recipe from? Do you just go online and start looking at one recipe and another? No, and- it wasn't a recipe. We originally started, we took coffee, we took alcohol, and we put it together. Okay. And we were like, okay, this doesn't taste good. <laughs> now let's play. That's really how it started. It wasn't like I went online and got a recipe. It was like, we want coffee liqueur. Liqueur is pretty much distilled alcohol with flavorings. Okay. I did some research on making liquor of how it's done, how you distill it. And then we played around. We wanted to. We tried it with rum. We tried it with play, plain pure grain alcohol. We tried it so many different ways until we came up with a way that we really, we really liked it. And then mm-hmm. I brought up Shachmanis, and she, my father was a rabbi, psychologist's house, a busy house. It was gone within like two hours. This big bottle. Wow! Everyone went crazy over it. So then we, um, I was just friends and family were asking it asking me for it. So I was just giving it to them. You wanted it, you got it. Then strangers started asking me for it. So we started selling it. I ordered bottles online. I made a name and that's when we named it. I wanted a name that wasn't your typical Jewish sounding, you know, homemade brew name. Mm-hmm. It actually means to brew in Latin. Nice. Um, it's different. It started with that interesting name that I can't pronounce and now people know it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I was selling it out of my house. I was a bootlegger. <laughs> it was actually very funny because when I had my first meeting with the company that helped me actually take it professional and bring it to market, they're like, we should have had like a Bravo series, Hasidish bootleggers. Oh my gosh. That's really amazing. what I was doing. I was selling so it I, out of my house. Did you have one flavor originally or you came up with different flavors or? No. So I just had my one flavor that I started with mm-hmm. and that's the flavor I launched. Now we're mm-hmm. actually working on our, we, our first flavor was so successful in about a, in my first year, I sold out my first production run. I'm working on my next flavor now. Wow. So I so, will, I will be a presence on the shelf of more than one flavor. Wow. So, okay. How long did you go from um, like made it and people wanted more to now I'm going to start like selling it out of my home. Like what was that decision or process like? Because you could have been like, sorry, like make your own coffee liqueur. Like what, why did you think that this was like for extra money on the side? Cause it was kind of fun to do it. Like service. It was fun. People, there, there are kosher coffee liqueurs on the market. Mm-hmm. But my take on it and the people I know find them very thick and very sweet. And it wasn't something that they wanted to drink. Mm-hmm. And mine is really not that sweet. It's a higher alcohol content. So they asked me for it. So first mm-hmm. I was just giving it and it was mm-hmm. costing me money. Mm-hmm. But friends and family, fine. And then when right. other people were asking me for it, I wanted it to look pretty. It wasn't like, yes, I wasn't making that much money per bottle. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was something cool that I did on the side. Like I would mm-hmm. make a huge, distill a huge batch, bottle it. And sell it. Sold it. And out. how long does it take to, to? How long was it taking you to make like one big bottle when you're doing this at home? To make to distill it, it took about like a week from when I started till I bottled it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I liked when it sat and distilled properly. And so, so now that you're selling it out of your house, you're making a little bit of money. When does it occur to you to say maybe I'm going to be the first Orthodox or Hasidic so woman? I didn't to- even think of that. It was more like. I was selling a lot. What happened was, it was that one Purim people ordered from me to give for their Mishloch manas. I was making wow. a lot of minis and I, I was doing like three different sizes and I was really making a lot. And then I, I have a lot of connections. Someone's like, why don't you take this public? If it would be in the stores, it would sell so well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know anything about <laughs> this. Like, how do I even do it even if I wanted to? So, so then, how, wait, t- now tell me how long was it from the first Purim that you made it for your mother-in-law to the time when someone says, go professional? About three years. Oh, wow. Okay. Like I was doing it for a while. And then um, I actually started doing research online. I would cold call. Like I would Google, how do I take a liquor idea to market? How do mm-hmm. I take a liquor from homey to professional? Mm-hmm. And I would get responses and I just cold call people mm-hmm. and then um one person I called some people just hung up on me some people gave me these rambling answers and then I actually reached one per- company that was so nice and helpful and then they really really helped me and guided me and then we started the process of taking a professional and were these these were not kosher liquor companies these were just regular yeah. some kosher some non-kosher some people only dealt with like really, really big brands and a lot of money. I was a small young girl. I didn't have millions of dollars behind me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in producing, you know, 50,000 bottles. I wasn't, I was small. I had no idea what I was doing. I was doing this out of my tiny little kitchen. And so um, did you ever have sort of like an entrepreneurial like spirit to you before this? Or it kind of just like popped up because. Um, it wasn't, new- I was always a hard worker. I always worked very hard. I always believed that if you want something, you have to really work at it. No one is going to give you anything. Yeah. I, I had this idea 
I love to cook and I love to bake. I'm not, you know, and I don't cook and bake typical. Mm -hmm. I'm not like a typical kosher baker and kosher cook. I generally cook out of non-kosher. Um, now actually the kosher food scene is becoming much more, um, not traditional, non-traditional and they're bringing in so many flavors, but I was always like that. I remember mm -hmm. one year I wanted to make this lemon verbena ices and my husband and I were driving around from, um, nursery to nursery to find the lemon verbena plant. So oh, wow. I can make my lemon verbena ices. I, I was always like that. I enjoyed yeah. it. I, for me, it was, it was like my Zen at the end of the day. It was the way I relaxed, mm -hmm. but, um, it was never like, I, I actually honestly never thought it would turn into the business that it is. Mm -hmm. So what did it look like when you found the place that says we want to help you? What did they do to help you? How do you go from, I've got a recipe, um, and the will to work to now we're going to become a company. So it started with, we actually had a meeting and they tried my product. They were, it was funny because now after we spoke about it, I was like, what do you think? You met this ultra orthodox couple and I bring you this product. And originally they were very worried that it, they, the look of, I think it was a surprise. Like they really didn't expect to like it when they tried it. Mm -hmm. And then they worked with me. It took two years. First, we had to get a formula. I, I said, I needed my recipe was made in my kitchen using cups and ounces. Mm -hmm. I needed it to be made in vats. So I needed a formula to take my recipe to make it so much bigger. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sort of sense. Yeah, sure. So we needed that. I needed to get on um, my branding, which was my label. I needed to get all the licenses. And I had to, uh, the alcohol industry is really, really complicated. Mm -hmm. So I needed to follow the rules and the laws. I don't know any of that. Right. So that's really where this guy really guided me so that, you know, a mistake could be $50,000. I didn't wow. have $50,000 to make a mistake. And are these like partners? Did they become partners? Did you sort of go under so, their brand? Or? Um, in the end, really, I started working with this company and then the company went under. And then this guy that really helped me, he launched his own company. And this is what he does where he works with people that have an alcohol, liquor idea, an alcohol um, he has some tequila brands he works with and he helps them bring them to market and start them up. And he really helped me. So uh, he works with me. He's like sort of a quasi partner, um, sort of employee. It's it's like a weird sort of contract we had. And so how long ago did, did you connect with him and sort of go from um, out of your kitchen to, you know, into the stores? So we launched about a year ago and I started working with him two years before that. So it's about three years since I met him. Uh, mm -hmm. No, it's almost four already at this point since we met him. Mm -hmm. And as we grow, he grows with us. Mm -hmm. And so where can we find Mascaio liquors? Where can we find the so coffee right liquor now, that's not I'm overly sweet? Over, no. So right now I'm all over like Brooklyn in the kosher industries. I'm in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, Lakewood, Muncie, I'm in the five towns. I'm in, um, we're hoping to get into Passaic before Shavuos. We're, we're slowly growing into more and more um, cities as well. Mm -hmm. I launched in Florida in nice. January, which was very exciting. And we're slowly expanding markets. Each market is a new, is a new big, how do, how do I, each market is its own set of difficulties because each sure. state has its own set of rules. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like certain states, you can sell alcohol in the grocery stores. New Hampshire, you can only sell alcohol in New Hampshire licensed stores. Um, New York has laws of where you can have 
alcohol stores, but you can't sell alcohol in the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Every state has its own law. So what sort of, you mentioned before that you kept to, to your standards. So I want to hear more about that. Um, you know, what have you sort of done to sort of maintain Hasidic, you know, Haredi standards in, in sort of this weird out of the box industry. Um, and, you know, who have you come across professionally that maybe you have surprised um, doing something so unconventional as a Hasidic woman? So in the beginning, it was really hard because I was coming to these meetings with all these men. And it's not like I never had exposure to men. I did. But whenever I had exposure to men in the past, they knew who I was. They knew what crowd I was coming from. I can't remember the last time a man stuck out his hand and really expected to shake my hand or a man tried to hug me. Mm -hmm. Because the circles I was in, it was so foreign to me. Mm -hmm. For For many, many other people, that's a normal thing that they deal with or they're okay with. Coming from my circles, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, God's going to strike me down. It was more, I want to stick to who I am. I want to represent, because part of my story is that I am a rabbi's daughter and my husband is a rabbi, I wanted to maintain that higher standard. We are, mm-hmm. no, I don't shake hands with men. Sorry about that. You're a teacher. I'm a teacher and I'm at work. <laughs> Um, I, I, so I really, I don't shake hands with men. It gets a little awkward where, um, explaining like meat and milk, how things have to change or when we're doing an event, I I can't have models that, you know, a lot of times when you have an alcohol event, the models that are serving the drinks are dressed in like very sexy, almost like non-Hasidic ways. Yeah. Not even the non-Hasidic ways. I know, I know. I don't, I'm not one of those girls where I don't cover my wig and I don't, I don't want, I want to maintain that conservative, respectable brand all across. Right. So if I'm having, if I'm having a rep, I need that rep to represent my brand. Yes. I understand. It's funny. Some people I've met have been so understanding. Some people I've met have been a little bit like, this is business. We shake hands. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. most people in the world today are more respectful. Um, when I went down to California, I started traveling with men that were not my husband, not related to me. And it was, it was fine. I'm really lucky to have met a guy that's so respectful and so understanding. And already now he like runs interference. He's like, Oh, she doesn't shake hands with men. <laughs> He's your bouncer. But it was a different, it is a whole new world for me. I never <laughs> actually experienced it. And what about, um, so you said some of them are respectful, some of them are not respectful. Has anyone sort of indicated to you that that you are a surprising uh, version of a Hasidic woman, different than what they expected you might be? Oh, for sure. You know, some people think, in, in some circles, they think you have horns. Right. Like if you go to certain parts of, because they really have never met. And then some, like, I find that the unaffiliated Jews think that a Hasidish woman literally is chained to her stove and has 10 kids. Right. When they find out I'm married 12 years and I only have three children, they're like, like, what? You're not normal. You know what I'm saying? It's not, you know, it's God's choice. And, you know, but the point is, is there's so many preconceived notions that are really, are really false. Right. Especially, I was just at the JWE where you had this Jew- the Jewish Woman Entrepreneur Conference, where I met so many amazing 
Jewish woman entrepreneurs. You had a woman that had nine children that was running a million dollar company. Wow. And she covered her hair and she cooked her Shabbos meals and she had nine children. And there's something special about Jewish women. I don't think anyone else in the world can do what we do. No, it's definitely uh, in terms of the multitasking, uh, making two Thanksgivings every week and um, on three jobs. You also call it Thanksgivings. When I say two Thanksgivings every week, they think I'm crazy. Right. Yeah. I was working with this non-Jewish guy and he was like all busy. He was doing his first Thanksgiving with his wife and he was going crazy. I'm like, Tom, I do this every week. Like, calm down. So how are you working? Meaning if you're a kosher brand, um, you're working with non-Jews because you're going into kosher stores, sorry, non-kosher stores that have kosher sections. Is that the idea? So we want to expand into the non-kosher market. I want to go into the non-kosher stores that have kosher sections. And I want to go into the non-kosher stores and service the non-kosher market. Mm -hmm. My product is, um, I'm saying on par with the non-kosher, going into the non-kosher market, I have tons and tons of competition. Mm-hmm. The non-kosher market is way more competition than the kosher market, but I did enter international competitions and I beat out the non-kosher brands. Ooh, so tell us more about this. Like when, where, so what, what kind of I did last, right, right when I launched, I did the International SIP Awards, which is um, an awards that's done with blind tasters. A lot of, there are many, many, many awards out there. Um, like award competitions for alcohol brands. Mm-hmm. Some are based on... Um, professional like sommeliers and and people in the industry some are blind tastings the sip awards is actually very highly regarded mm-hmm. um and it's international brands and i won platinum which is wow. pretty much the highest honor that's amazing I'm in it again for this year but they didn't it, they didn't send out the results yet hmm. if i win again then i become consumer's choice which is really cool wow um, at the wswa which is the huge um, conference that they happen every year of all the um, alcohol brands. I won silver, not the mm. highest, but it's one under gold. It's not bad. Pretty cool. This pretty is me cool. going up against huge non-kosher brands that have million dollars behind them. So what? Right. So, um, so can we talk about the next flavor that's launching? Is that public knowledge yet? What's coming next? Or so we're coming hopefully out with the chocolate. Nice. It's in development. It's almost ready. It's not there yet. Um, I'm, if you look at my bottle, I signed my name to the back of my bottle. Mm-hmm. I will only launch my bottle when I am ready to put my name on it. Mm-hmm. It has to be perfect. I have to be able to say, this is the best chocolate liquor you will ever try. Hmm. And what about, um, so do you have like a projected date that you're hoping will be ready by or you're not going to... So I hate saying that because I was really hoping we'll be ready for Shavuos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm right now I'm really gearing for like September, October, the Sukkot season. Mm-hmm. Like nice. just in time for fall. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. I can't promise because I've already learned that things are out of my control. Like when we planned on launching the first time around, um, my bottles were on a boat and there was a monsoon mm-hmm. and the boat was stuck in the ocean for wow. two months. Where are you producing it? So it's produced in a, a private distillery in upstate New York where my bottles came from Italy. Oh, wow. So it had to make its way across the ocean. Very cool. Um, and what about being a female entrepreneur? I, I should mention, you mentioned GWE. I, I saw you there um, and I, I heard your story and I was just so fascinated. Um, it's a really unusual uh, you know, business for a Hasidic woman to be in. Um, do you think that your 
you know, religious Jewish background may, makes you a better entrepreneur? Is there anything that sort of came out through your uh, Jewish education or upbringing that um, sort of prepares you for this kind of um, crazy business? So I find that Jewish education teaches you certain morals and certain um, values that are also instilled in our homes just from our upbringing that are so important, that as hard and as crazy as our weeks are, mm -hmm. we have Shabbos, mm -hmm. where we put it all aside and we, you know how many times when you put something down, something you're worried about, something you're thinking about, something you're, and you stop, and then you come back to it 24 hours later, you have a whole different perspective. Mm -hmm. You also have those values of something that's bigger than yourself, mm -hmm. which I think is so, so, so important. I don't think that I am the greatest. I don't think that I'm the be all and the end all. Well, you're platinum I, though. No, I'm joking. I'm I joking. Yeah, I know. Right. No, I know. I know. You know that there's a God above you. There's a God above us. And what it's also the Jewish world really works with each other. Like the first time I came out and I, I didn't even have a distributor yet. I went into every store to sell my product. Most of the stores just took me in because I was a nice Jewish woman and they knew yeah. my name. And what what about um, negative feedback? Has is anyone upset that a Hasidic woman is selling liquor? Is is this uh you know absolutely not? I was so nervous. Even when I go into like the ultra orthodox areas like Williamsburg and Monroe, they're so impressed because you know what? It's one thing had I all of a sudden launched this product and then changed and you know taken off, changed my dress, changed my language, changed things, but I really haven't. So. When they see that I stay true to my values and I have this product and it has really good kosher certification and nothing has changed, but I have this really good product, then they're impressed. Jewish women are not expected. We're not forced to stay in the kitchen. We're not right. forced to stay in unless the Unless we want to brew, unless we want to distill liquor. In that case, we could unless stay in the kitchen. Unless we want to distill liquor. Really, most Jewish women can do whatever they want if they set their mind to it. Well, that's really uh, incredible. And, um, you know, just as much as I like highlighting these stories and sharing with the world so people know what's going on, I also love the idea that every time we share a story like this, this may make the box a little bigger for someone who was kind of staying a little more in the lines, didn't know kind of how far out of the box that you could go. Um, because obviously there are lines, there are limits within halacha, but there's also a lot of room for um, right. living out your dreams, um, sort of using your passions and your God-given talents um, to, you know, do something um, no, that can... 100%. In halacha, there's X amount of things we can and we cannot do. But we can really, in those lines, there's so, so, so much you can do. I mean, I met girls that went to actual non-kosher non culinary schools and are major pastry chefs now and, and are doing incredible work. There are girls that are fashion designers and you can still stay true to halacha. I can be a kosher Jewish woman and yet still produce alcohol that's sold in non-kosher stores that non-kosher bartenders are using. And it's something that being Jewish doesn't have to hold you back. That That is my motto. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, it's uh, certainly an inspiration to me and I'm sure to our listeners. And um, I'm hoping I'm going to get a chance to uh, try both of your flavors soon. Well, do you have my, you tried my first flavor. Uh, I actually, I was driving that night, so I didn't drink, but I, I want to, I, I will. I trusted that it was good and I, I will, we will make a time. So we're going to get it to you so you can okay. enjoy it. 
And as soon as my next flavor comes out, I'll let you know. And we'll, we're gonna do, I would like to probably do some sort of event. You see, that's even something where I have an issue. And it sounds crazy, but as an ultra-Orthodox woman, can I throw a mixed party? So when I even launched my first flavor, my guy's like, well, let's throw an event. I'm like, but I can't throw a mixed event. Well, we threw a mixed event, but it's, it's quite kosher and it's quite full of Kiddush Hashem. So we, we're going to talk more about that after this. And thank you so much for your time. We wish you much Hatzlacha. Thank you so, so much for this interview. And I, I'm, I'm so glad I got to meet you and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.